socially distanced, six feet apart, quarantined, working from home, store clerks behind plastic shields, loved ones behind doors and windows, worship services live streamed online. We, we certainly have become experts in being far apart from each other this last year and a half. Well, we're continuing the six-week sermon series, 365 and 1, and today we are talking about this idea of close proximity, about being close to people, physically close. And as Jamie said, there's that, um, that thing we're working through, high potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equal maximum impact. And today is our day to talk about close proximity. Our text comes from the New Testament, the uh, account according to Dr. Luke, starting in the fifth chapter, verse 27. And it reads this way, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. May it please God that we would benefit from the reading of his holy word. Let's come together in prayer this morning. Our God, our God of hope and courage, you've called each of us to be a witness to the world. But that can be frightening. All around us are signs that the world is struggling, that our future is unclear. But we pray that you would strengthen us with your confidence and your unfailing grace, that we would have courage to move onward, even through a way that we might not be able to see, knowing that you will guide every step of the way. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, and together we all say, Amen. So three things to learn from this story from the fifth chapter of Luke about Jesus and Levi and the party at his house, and then three things for us to plug into our calling in this idea of close proximity in 365. And the first stop is that Jesus went out and he found sinners. Close proximity. Jesus went out, and who did he find? He found sinners. We just read in Luke 5, after this, Jesus went out, and he saw a tax collector, a thief, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, by the name of Levi, who the way became Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. And then later later at the party, the Pharisees, why do you hang out with sinners? And Jesus said, it's not the the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, sinners. I came to, uh, I went out and I came to seek sinners. The parable of the lost sheep speaks specifically to it from Luke 15. It's all right there in the beginning of the parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one. Does he not leave the 95? Does he not go out in the open country and go after the, the what? The lost sheep, the one who's away from the fellowship, the one who's outside the circle. One more illustration from the New Testament. The story of Zacchaeus. What do we know about Zacchaeus? He was He was a wee little man. He was a short guy. Important part of the story, but then we kind of get hung up on that and forget the rest. He was a sinner. He was like Levi. He was a tax collector. These were people who were Jews, but who worked for the opposition. They worked for the Romans, who were the occupying force. So they were kind of traitors. They were thieves because the Romans employed them to collect taxes for them, but they would add a little bit more. They would take a little bit more from their fellow Jews and keep it for themselves. So, So bad, sinful people. But Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he says, the son of man came to seek, 
to go out and to save the who? The lost. So Jesus went out and he found sinners. And once he did, he invited them. He didn't just have this encounter with them, said nice things to them, maybe pointed out their sin. He invited them, come, be with me. Be part of my Father's kingdom. In Luke 5, 27, follow me, Jesus said to them. And Levi left everything and, and followed him. It's interesting to think about what the disciples' jobs were when Jesus called them. A lot of them were fishermen. We know that. Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishermen. Thomas, Nathaniel, Philip, probably fishermen. We don't know for sure. But this guy, Levi, tax collector, thief, turncoat, traitor, abandoner of his own people, sinful guy. And Jesus says, hey, Levi, come follow me. That night, Levi throws a party at his house, and Pharisees see that Jesus is eating with sinners and said, you ought not be doing that. Jesus said, well, I came to be with these people, to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus does for us at Christmas. He comes to be with the sinful people. (laughs) Emmanuel, God with us. God was with us while Christ was on earth. And he went to the cross and, and died in my place and died in your place. The perfect life he lived, he gives to us. So now the Father sees us as having lived a perfect life. Our account reads perfect in the files of heaven. Jesus invited sinners to have communion with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The watching world is incredibly uncomfortable with the grace of God. The watching world is incredibly uncomfortable with the grace of God. They say, you, and they're talking to me, they're probably talking to you, don't deserve forgiveness. And we go, that's right, we don't. But that's grace. That's love. That's God with us. God invited sinners to be with us. One of the things we're encouraging you to do in this um, sermon series is to invite your one, the person you're praying for, the person you're witnessing to, to invite them, maybe to church, maybe to your small group, or maybe just invite them out to coffee and conversation to talk about life and maybe share the good news of Jesus with them. Well, number three is that Jesus ate with sinners. This is so interesting to me. Jesus then ate with sinners. There was a party at Levi's house and there was a banquet. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. It's interesting to think about Jesus eating. Pop in an olive. What did it look like? Jesus ate with them. Many places in scripture, Jesus deals with food. He feeds the 5,000 miraculously. A different place, he feeds the 4,000 miraculously. Holy communion is instituted after the gang has supper. The Bible says that. Jesus makes breakfast on the beach after his resurrection. He broils fish and eats some of it and gives some to his friends to eat. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. My point here is that Jesus did human stuff with people. He just wasn't this God who was unapproachable. He ate and did life with them. He slept, he wept, he washed, he dressed. He worked, he talked, he breathed, he rejoiced. He was a human being but completely God at the same time. How is Jesus in your everyday life? In your eating and your sleeping and your weeping and your rejoicing? A Christian writer named Paul Tripp says, if God doesn't rule your mundane, if he doesn't rule your mundane, then he doesn't rule you because that's where you live life. We have spiritual highs. We have awesome God things that happen to us, but most of us live Monday through Sunday like just everyday stuff, right? But God's in that stuff. 
And my point here is that to share with your one that maybe they think that God can only be found for an hour in church on Sunday mornings or at religious events. And we are to share with them, no, he's in our everything. Jesus walked on a road. He was at a well. He shows up at a synagogue. Jesus was at the beach and in a grain field. Jesus was at a wedding and on a hillside and in a garden. God in our everyday life. God is with us at work and when we sleep and when we laugh. And he's in our art He's in relationships, he's in our provision, he's in our desires. He's with us when we take out the garbage and change a diaper and do the dishes and cut the grass. God's close to us doing life. Yesterday, Servant Saturday, our crew got to go out and help a woman we've helped before and she needed some yard work done and we were familiar with the yard, we'd been there before and before we started, I called her out and she was there and older lady moves with a walker, nice lady and I said, how can we pray for you? And she took a couple seconds to think, and I thought, well, if it's taking her this long to think, you know, probably things are pretty good. Maybe she's going to say this or that. And she said, my sister died on Tuesday. Really? She said, she was my closest sibling. We talked every day. Oh, my goodness. She said, I can't even go to the funeral. It's in Florida, and I can't travel because of COVID. It was because of close proximity, because we were there just asking questions, just doing life. We were pulling weeds. We weren't doing anything religious, but God was in that close proximity. So we briefly looked at three things that Jesus did in the area of close proximity in the story from Luke 5, this dealing with Levi, the tax collector. Now, now three things for us to take out in this idea of close proximity under the heading of 365 and 1. And, and these are general um, Coaching terms is not right, coaching terms, but, but, but precepts for us to plug into our life. So think of them under the heading of close proximity. And the first one is to reach out, to reach out, to go like Jesus did, not to stay in, but to go. Matthew 29, right before Jesus is taken up to heaven, therefore go, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you to do. Kind of a cool video to show you here. It's just two minutes long about um, three girls who went out and reached out and shared Jesus with, with others. I was kind of shy about my faith, and I didn't really share with many people. I was always worried about people judging me and things like that. And then um, come my sophomore and junior year, it hit me like, what am I doing? I'm wasting all this time. I could be witnessing to all these people. My twin sister and I met Brenda, and I started inviting her to church, and we would talk about different things going on in her life. My parents fought all the time. It was really rough just watching my dad physically abuse my mom. And during middle school, I started to hang out with the wrong crowd, and I was picking on people just because I thought I was cool. I noticed people at church they were really different from the people that I was hanging out with. And what was different about them was they were really caring and they didn't do the things that I was doing and they really devoted their life to God. At first I did have doubting thoughts, you know, God will never forgive this sin that I've made. She started asking more and more questions and um, she started reading her Bible and um, one night she called me. She said she had decided she was gonna give her life to Christ. She's become a totally different person. She is on fire for God, and she constantly talks about what she read in her Bible and what she's doing at church, and 
She's constantly sharing with other people and having a really big impact on everyone at our school. It's definitely a kind of like a mission field for me as a believer just because there's so many opportunities to share and there's a lot of people at public schools who have no idea who Jesus Christ is. When I see people get made fun of in class or in the hallway, I'll try and be there for them and I'll try and be kind and nice and um, just love on them and show them that I'm in Christ. I try and be there for them. One of my friends, she told me that I was the biggest sinner and I said, I would admit to that. And she asked, what? Like in a confused kind of voice. And so through that experience, I got to share with her um, how I came to know Christ. My mom um, came on a Sunday morning when I got baptized and we all prayed. And um, it was so awesome, you know, the choice that my mom made. And I'm definitely excited um, that my mom's a Christian. I'm there for Cool story, those two twins sharing with Brenda. Now Brenda is going out and reaching others for Christ. Pastor Zardi did such a great job last week. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? And he made this point perfectly, but let me bring it up again. There's the, Samarit- uh, the, the man um, naked and, and beaten up and, and robbed, and the Samaritan comes, and what does he do? He went to him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Next, under the heading of... Um, close proximity, limit limit your distractions. I mean, this is like a general precept, right? But limit your distractions. Uh, On Monday, our small group meets at our house, and it it meets at 7, and at about 6 o'clock, our neighbor, who we love, Gary, um, somehow he got his hands on a a big John Deere tractor, not like one that cuts the lawn, but like the big one with the scoop on the front and the rototiller on the back. And the window in the room where we meet is right there, and Gary's going back and forth. And I'm thinking, this is awful. No one is going to pay attention to the small group thing. And it wasn't just, eh, it was, eh. I mean, it was like, oh, no. Thank God I didn't have to go out and ask him to stop. But like at five to seven, he stopped. And I thought that, that could have been a terrible distraction. Psalm 119, the psalm writer says, I meditate on your precepts. I focused. I push out all distractions. I meditate on the things of God. And I consider your ways. I I think about those things. All distractions are put aside. The enemy wants to distract us with things that are not important so that we abandon what is is important. In this week's small group video that George produces that you'll watch in your small group, he'll actually talk about how much time we actually do have because the distraction of the urgent moves us away from that which is important. We let things become urgent, which really aren't that important. It's just the next thing on the list, and i got to do that. And it pushes away that which is important. Work on pushing that stuff away. It's an uncomfortable conversation to have with yourself because those are things you like. Oh my goodness, if I I could tell you how much football we watched last weekend. And it was just too much. Nothing wrong with watching football, but too much. Where were my priorities? I'm asking you to think about that, have that conversation with yourself this week. What is really distracting me? In 1960, a guy named Charles Hummel wrote a pamphlet that was used by business leaders worldwide called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And the core idea was that we live in a constant tension between the urgent and the important. And those things that we are considering to be urgent aren't that important, and those are distractions taking us away from those things that are important. A pretty famous Christian writer, Dallas Willard, he says ruthlessly, and he's a really calm and peaceful guy. for So, so for him to use the word ruthlessly, eliminate hurry from your life, because he said we're passing over the important things of life. 
Finally, for us this morning, be intentional under the heading of close proximity. Wake up every morning to be close to people, to love them, to share God's goodness in your close proximity with them. Ephesians 5, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Look, making the most of every opportunity, being intentional, because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The opportunities that that God gives us to bless others are to be used by us. I love this story. A professor at Morehouse College in Atlanta agreed to hold a student's baby while he lectured. That's the professor holding a guy's baby strapped to his tummy while he lectured. He wanted the student to be able to take good notes. The student arrived at class with a child, told the professor that his babysitter didn't show up. He had no one else to give the baby to. So this guy taught the whole session with another guy's baby strapped to his chest just because he had the opportunity to love him. And the president of Morehouse College, upon learning this, wrote, this is about love and commitment. Yeah, that seems right. This is about love and commitment, loving our students and being committed to removing any barrier to their pursuit of excellence. Can we take our lead from that teacher to love our one, to be so loving and committed and so intentional that we'll hold a baby like that. That's a metaphor for whatever God is asking us to do for them, right? One story to wrap up with, and I asked Liz if I could tell the story, and she gave me permission. Liz Waldron's on our staff here at Royal Redeemer, and in our staff meeting on Tuesday, she said, you know, me and my husband Dan, we don't really know who our one is. We're in this sermon series. Who is our one that we're supposed to be praying for? And then she went on to tell the story that they have three, three young girls that are in school and they've befriended other young girls and their parents and they learned that their parents were in a bit of a jam. Those parents would drop off their children early to early care um, where they get watched until school starts so they could get to work early, but they couldn't afford that anymore. They had to use that money to save up for a car. So Liz and Dan said, you, you drop off the girls at our house in the morning. We're up anyway. We're getting our girls ready to school. We'll hang with them and take them to school and they accepted, but they were a little bit flabbergasted with mouths hanging open. You know, they asked the question that all of us hope our one will ask us. Why in the world are you doing that for us? Why are you being so kind? We want our one to ask us that so that then we can say, it's Christ in me. Jesus changed me. I'm not a person of love, but God's love in me compels me to love you. So we're happy to serve you in this way. A couple of next steps for you to consider this week as you think about and pray about this week's lesson. First of all, find unique and creative ways to get close to your one, even in this strange, socially distanced era where we need to be far apart. Figure out ways to do that. Number two, have a heart that is prepared to proclaim God's goodness. Wake up every morning um, with the position of, yes, I will help. I I won't decide in that instant if I will help. I'm deciding right now that I will help. That way, it's an immediate help. It's an immediate love Hold the guy's baby while you teach. Again, a metaphor for what God's calling you to do. And then be reminded of God's great generosity to you. Be reminded of God's great generosity to you and let that motivate you to love others. Let's pray. God, you called your disciples to go out and share the good news and now you call us to go out and share. And like them... We're a motley crew too. I I wonder if you can use me. So remind me, remind us that your power is what changes people, not anything in us. Give us courage and a willing heart so that we may boldly go wherever you send us and talk to whoever you want us to, that your name might be known among the nations. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Together we all say, amen.